Hi there, and thanks for listening. If you're enjoying our podcast and have a recommendation about someone you think that we should have on to share their voice and journey with the world, by all means, let us know. It could be an aid worker, monastic, author, journalist, doctor, resistance leader, really anyone with some tie or another to the ongoing situation in Myanmar. To offer up a name, go to our website, insightmyanmar.org, and let us know. But for now, just sit back and take a listen to today's podcast. Today we're going to be taking a look at the political dimension across ASEAN and the broader Asian context, comparing it to the types of political philosophies and responses that we have seen from the what focus that we've had on the predominantly Western responses uh, to Myanmar, and examining the historical and cultural underpinnings of the situation in which we find ourselves. My guest today is Calvin. I'd like to introduce, or rather, I'd like to invite Calvin to introduce himself for the audience. Uh, so please let us know who you are and uh, what you do. Hi, Brad. Um, thank you for inviting me. Hello there. This is Calvin Cole. Um, I am the co-director at Foreign Policy Community of Indonesia Research and Analysis. Um, this is a a foreign policy organization based in Jakarta. We are, uh, would be said as the largest foreign policy group in the region because we have a hundred thousand people in our network. And me personally have been heavily working on ASEAN and other geopolitical stuff. Um, my passion is about, um, <clears throat> my passion is very heavily on foreign relations and particularly my home region, Southeast Asia. Thanks, Brad. Excellent. Okay, so obviously uh, we, uh, we we have a crisis happening right now in Myanmar, just to jump straight into it. And there has been a lot of focus on the actions that have been taken by individual ASEAN countries and the actions that have been taken by ASEAN as a whole. Uh, and there's been a lot of contrast, uh, people comparing the responses from ASEAN nations and ASEAN as an organization to the responses from Western nations and the responses from uh, the the European Union, and it it appears it appears that Western nations and and Western uh, international organizations or, or intergovernmental organizations are more interested in direct intervention, and it appears that ASEAN has been taking a much more conservative approach, uh, less direct, less hands on. Uh, would you say that that's that's a fair comparison to make, or or is that a misunderstanding of the situation? Thanks, Brad. Excellent questions. Um, I think my value to be at your podcast is having a, a perspective from within Southeast Asia, particularly from Indonesia. So I will speak uh, on behalf of, not on behalf, on behalf of myself, definitely, but um, speaking from the perspective of Jakarta, right? So I want to start with numbers. Um, me myself has been uh, a program coordinator for ASEAN China survey in the past three years. This is a survey initiated by foreign policy community of Indonesia. And um, this is a survey that focuses on how Southeast Asian sees China's. But um, in the survey, uh, I also asked in the past three years, particularly about the Myanmar situations. So let me just uh, push the needles on the numbers. So I asked a questions um, on this year's survey. The questions was, is ASEAN's effort to address Myanmar political crisis on the right track? 
right? A pretty straightforward questions. This questions is answered by 1,658 uh, uh, more or less uh, Southeast Asian respondents um, across 10 ASEAN countries, including Myanmar itself. So how uh, the respondents uh, answers to these questions, let me repeat the questions, is ASEAN's effort to address Myanmar political crisis on the right track. So the result is about, the result is a little bit interesting for my end, right? So 50% um, said on the right track, 13% said not on the right track, okay? And then ASEAN is not attentive and responsive enough for 27%. ASEAN is too slow in addressing the crisis, 24%. And I have no opinion for 18%, right? Um, the majority are found in answers of ASEAN is not attentive and responsive enough. Seconding to that is ASEAN is too slow in addressing the crisis. Now, how about uh, the Myanmar herself, right? The respondent directly from Myanmar, our friends. Definitely, the majority says that ASEAN is too slow in addressing the crisis with 35%. And 27% seconding to that is that ASEAN is not attentive and responsive enough. 17% uh, says that um, it's not, uh, sorry, let me correct it. 27% um, seconding to the ASEAN is too slow is not on the right track. I think this is a predicted sentiment coming from Myanmar. So what does this surface um, mean to all listeners? Um, is that here? Um, I'm talking from the leader's perspective. Uh, the leader's perspective of ASEAN is, has been encapsulated into the formulations of five-point consensus. So everything about Myanmar should go uh, in principles of the 5PC. Now, talking from the perspective of uh, the grassroots, not much um, progressing, right? And not much progressing, um, the question is, this situation is very associated with the political will of uh, parties involved in Myanmar. So I'm not talking only about the NUG, or SAC, but also all the ethnic-related groups. I think um, the political will is the dominant factors to push um, uh, the progress uh, in, uh, in in the ground. Right now, the question is: uh, as you ask, is it fair of ASEAN approach? So, from ASEAN perspective, right? Um, this is a bit complex answers, but uh, the first principles that I want listeners knows uh, is the difference of way and approach of ASEAN people. ASEAN as a nature of organization, but also ASEAN in terms of way it works that associated with our principles. But let me simplify. Um, ASEAN is... Um, ASEAN does not like too much posturing and also megaphone uh, messaging. Uh, one about uh, posturing. Uh, we avoid a kind of uh, photo op, a kind of uh, sh uh, uh, conversation that bring to the public, uh, which contains uh, a lot of sensitive uh, an ongoing discussion to the public, right? Um, and we prefer to approach uh, these political situations um, uh, in 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 the uh, in the backstage, right? Uh, behind the curtain. However, um, 
even though it sounds like uh, there's not much transparency, it's actually not. Um, ASEAN uh, has a character of um, talking to everybody, um, talking to adversaries, talking to foes, talking to best friends, talking to everyone. Um, because of talkings, we can settle things, right? Um, so that's how the ASEAN's um, approaching Myanmar situation, not only now, but also in the previous episodes of Myanmar situations. What um, Indonesia did, what ASEAN did, is always um, talking to everybody. And I think this is the same approach that uh, uh, ASEAN currently doing and Indonesian government doing in the context of Indonesia's chairmanship 2000, in 2023. So we talk to everybody, we engage them, and then we avoid um, posturing uh, in the, from the public eyes, uh, keep quiet, uh, and then push for the progress and, uh, and uh, put the domestic actors uh, as, the, as the star in the stage. I mean, it's better um, to be uh, to be sh to be seen um, that uh, the internal actors are the one who initiate all those stuff, right? And um, the external uh, actors, uh, including ASEAN countries, is not a main actor uh, on the ground, but as the supporters and facilitators, actors uh, in the backstage. So that kind of approach that ASEAN uh, has been doing and has been consistent in dealing to all such of uh, political crisis in the region. Um, however, however, we need also to recognize um, the situations of trending uh, in in the uh, about transparency about. Uh, uh, Public's demands more on uh, knowings about the progress. Public's demands more to be brief about every diplomatic movement, or uh, and public's demands more concrete result on diplomatic process. Right. So that is reality on the ground. Um, my observation: the government. Um, uh, I'm talking about the government of uh, non-Myanmar country, yeah? the ASEAN uh, countries, including Indonesia, in dealing with the Myanmar situation. The government um, should be very should be very prudent um, in messaging to the public. Uh, in one side, um, the government should make sure uh, the ongoing discussion should be continued. The trust should be still gain from all fact, uh, actors in the ground. But at the another side, uh, they need also to open up doors to more dialogues, discussion, briefing to the public, right? So um, never uh, leave the public in the dark. Uh, we need to continue update them about the situations, about the feelings of the government, uh, but at the same time, maintaining a close communication with all partners in, uh, on the ground. So that's how the difference um, uh, uh, of approach uh, in ASEAN. Um, um, another principles, and I think this would be very beneficial for the listeners, is that um, this is a very Southeast Asian way of seeing. Um, we see Myanmar as a family. This is not about the jargons or about uh, about uh, um, you know uh, terminologies in good speeches. No. Family means is that we can tell what we are really thinking about, right? Um, uh, we don't exclude Myanmar, but we tell to the um, SAC, hey, what you did is wrong, right? What you does is not right. Um, and we are here as an older brother uh, to see you and to talk to you and help you to find a, a way out of this diluted situation. <coughs> Uh, we should understand also the feelings of all actors um, in Myanmar and UGSAC and all the ethnic groups, right? We should understand them um, and also talk to them, right? So this is the principles um, 
of looking at them as a family and once you ASEAN, never as uh, once ASEAN, forever you are ASEAN, you are part of the family, so we can't uh, add anything. Like you, Brad, you had a, uh, you if you have sister or siblings or dad or mom, you're, you can speak any, you can speak in a liberty to them about your feelings. I think that applies the same thing in ASEAN family. Um, so that's how we are uh, approaching to the situation. So we don't uh, make a distance to them. Uh, we don't um, punish them with with sanctions, with um, anything, right? That very uh, harsh. But uh, we tell them the truth. Even right now, uh, you know that uh, in the summit level uh, and the political meetings, Myanmar, uh, representative is now being banned, right, to participate. This I'm not seeing this is as a form of punishment. This is a form of a strong signal to our brother. Hey, you have you have crossed the line, and uh, you cannot attend the political meetings, but you still can attend non-political meetings. Uh, a permission to attend non-political meeting is actually. Uh, uh, a message that I, I'm still here as a brother, right? Um, I want to still talk to you, uh, but please, you know, uh, you need to change your behavior. So that's the the, the C and and you should know um, uh, the decision to uh, ban, yeah, uh, to uh, put out the political rap of Myanmar in the, in the political meeting of ASEAN processes. Um, that decision were made up in a very long process of consultation and discussion. Uh, it, take, it took around a year after that could happen, and that decision were made, right? Um, uh, not because of uh, too slow, but I see it um, ASEAN trying to take the, the most uh, prudent decisions on dealing with our Myanmar brothers, right? Because the situation is so sensitive on the ground. Um, so that's how I see it from the ASEAN perspective um, on dealing with the situation in Myanmar. And in short, um, the questions that you were asked, Brad, uh, cannot be simplified whether ASEAN being fair or not. Uh, but ASEAN is trying to be um, creative and trying to approach in all angles. And But we should be admitted also that our attempt uh, needs to be uh, needs to be reviewed and reviewed in the terms of why the 5PC um, does not come into a very positive uh, progress, right? So we need to review why that doesn't work. Um, we need also to be more creative on approaching uh, them. Yes, we did engage everybody, but we need also to be more creative to push the political will because I don't see the political will uh, all uh, uh, actors in, in particularly uh, SAC um, on the ground. So that's how I see it, Brad. Okay, so you've opened the door to, to a few things. I mean, mm -hmm. not to put it um, very depressingly, but when you talk about this idea of, well, we're family, so we don't punish one another, you know, in, in especially in the Western way of thinking, what comes to my mind is a village where you know that your brother is an alcoholic and that he's beating his wife, but you don't do anything to stop this. You just tell him, we know what you're doing. We want you to stop. Yeah. And then he cries and he promises that he will stop. And then he does it again. And then you talk to him again. And then he does it again. At what point do we have to say, this person is not going to voluntarily stop. We can't convince them with argument we have to intervene, whether it means we have to call the police, whether it means we have to have them committed to rehabilitation, whether it means we have to get a psychiatrist, whatever. We have to do something for the safety of the wife, for the safety of the children, um, even for the safety of the brother himself who might be drinking himself to death. To look at the, the economic situation in Myanmar, to look at the uh, electricity crisis in, in Myanmar, to look at the refugee crisis. The country as a whole is degrading in terms of its capacity to function, and people are dying in large numbers. So at what point would, would ASEAN look at this situation and say, okay, the, the death toll is very high, and the progress has not been sufficient, 
do we need to engage more directly? Is there any line that will be crossed here? Thank, thank you, Brett. That's a very good analogy. So I want to invite the listeners and you to see ASEAN uh, in two different prims. So the first prims ASEAN as a regional organization and the second ASEAN as individual countries. So we have nine out of Myanmar, right? And Indonesia is the largest. Now, talking from the first prims of ASEAN as a regional organizations, this is unfortunately to say our hands is binding, right? We cannot do much. Um, we are binded with all the principles that we have. I mean, binding in talking about direct interventions, right? Um, in kind of all forms, right? Um, you, this is things that you have been watching and have been criticizing on ASEAN, right? If you see it on ASEAN in that way, so this is what you say. Unfortunately, our hands are binded, so we can't do much in terms of uh, directly um, intervention. And ASEAN. Um, by DNA is not organizations that designed to intervene in that kind of such situations. So that's, I hope that listeners can understand. But ASEAN has a very strategic function to continue the processes of talkings and also the processes of um, pushing uh, uh, the, the uh, pushing and give uh, uh, pressures uh, on the every single individual country, right? Uh, and particularly on Myanmar. Now, I want to take the conversations to the, the second prims, which is the prims of the individual countries of ASEAN. So the, this is the two prisms um, always um, complete to one another, right? complete the pictures. Why? Why is that? ASEAN is a leader-driven organization. It's a very elitist organization. It's driven by the 10 individuals, the 10 individuals of leaders, right? Um, and talking about the individual country, um, the Myanmar situation is now at the levels of how the leaders of them and the leaders of nine, except Myanmar, can expedite and uh, intervene um, as an individual country. I'm not talking about military interventions, but what I can say is that um, uh, what we see in the public uh, it doesn't mean that uh, uh, the individual countries does not intervene could be politically to the domestic uh, to, to to SAC for instance. Like, um, let me give you an example on Cambodian situations. Um, uh, in the Cambodian situations, Indonesia, of, uh, Indonesia at the end, once the crisis in Cambodia finished. We openly said we are intervened uh, in terms of politically talking directly and tells and suggesting what should better to do, and even invite them to have a, a cocktail a party in Jakarta to settle all the things. That that was an intervention of Indonesia, which cannot be done by ASEAN, right? Uh, but done by Indonesia as a big brother in the in the in the country and also supported by all the rest of ASEAN particularly ASEAN 5, the founders of ASEAN. So I think the same thing happening also to Myanmar, right? Li Xinlong, as the, the longest um, um, serving ASEAN leaders um, that's still uh, uh, in the office, I think has a very uh, a lot of voices to, to Myanmar, including to Thailand, the most, uh, in my perspective, Thai government is one of the most hurt by the SAC. And I think uh, the prime ministers also talk frankly uh, to them. The visits of the Cambodian prime minister um, to, uh, to to Myanmar, I think uh, he also had talked very in a uh, strong tone to, to the leaders of SAC. And then from my end, uh, Indonesian government, my government initiated the special summit in Jakarta. So my president calls the rest of them, including the SAC, you should come over to Jakarta and sit down and talk about these things. This is an intervention, right? Uh, this is an intervention of how we are saying directly and how we are pushing them um, to, to going to the right course, right? Um, this is not, a, I'm not talking about a, a sending, um, I don't know, groups of what uh, to Myanmar and then pushing 
for something. Uh, this is not about that thing. This is the intervention directly coming from the individual countries in all means and all measures. From all the ten, the most loud and most consistent is Myanmar and uh, sorry, Indonesia and Malaysia. Both of us are very strong uh, on on uh, SAC, right? Even my foreign minister publicly saying over and over again our our disappointment to SAC and um, uh, the, uh, the Malaysians also did the same thing. Uh, Singapore has a lot of stake on economic stake in Myanmar, and I believe Malaysian law also using um, his uh, carrot and stick to Myanmar as well to push something happening. So this game is really circled back to, to the political will of SAC and also the political wills of NUG and others, right? Uh, what we can do is pushing to that way. What we are could be minimum can do is, uh, I don't know, if there's a question, will ASEAN come up with the sanctions of embargoes or stuff like that? I think that would be too far. Okay. So this is this is another topic that I'm, I'm very interested in. The, the SAC. So most in the West uh, take the view that the SAC, uh, because it, it seized power illegally, it's a military coup, all these sorts of things, uh, even if a Western power does not recognize the NUG, it also will not recognize the SAC. It seems to be the position of ASEAN yeah. to say, well, look, if we don't talk to the SAC, then we can't achieve anything, right? We need to, we need to recognize the SAC. Um, but I wonder, is there, is there any sort of metric? Is there any measurement that ASEAN uses to determine legitimacy? Does, is it the position of ASEAN that the SAC and the military coup are the legitimate government, or is it just the position of ASEAN that they exist, they have power, and therefore we need to be dealing with them? What's the what's the perspective there? I think we are still far away from the discussion of legitimizing the authority in Myanmar, right? I just want to repeat that uh, the invitations of all uh, ASEAN meeting to the Myanmar authority is not a form of recognizing the SAC as the legitimate and um, legal um, government of Myanmar. That is far from that point, right? Um, but uh, by the way, I'm not also referring to use the word of acknowledging SAC, but I see it of how ASEAN um, looking SAC as a actors that should be engaged alongside with the NUG, right? Um, but talking about, uh, I, I see it here, legitimizing, I think is still far away because there are a lot of steps to be done before we coming to that discussions, right? Uh, you know, 2023 should be their election year according to their constitutions of 2000 sorry, 8 or 18, I forgot, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. 8, 2008. Yes, 2008, right? Um, 2020 should be the election. So I think next year is definitely, um, could be the peak of their uh, domestic political um, crisis, right? How the SAC could come to their promise on um, having the elections will uh, definitely could be, I don't know whether NUG can be contested uh, on that election or not, or what kind of formulations of election that could be done uh, in next year. Um, but, it, and ASEAN is very abide um, to the law and norms. Um, if now, let's see, uh, we recognize the, uh, the current constitutions, right? I mean, uh, the constitutions of 2008. And even we ask, um, um, uh, we ask uh, everybody is there in Myanmar. Is there any way out uh, of the conflicting constitutions? Right. We even ask because uh, we want to be um, we want to be uh, abide and uh, going along with the rules that has that been made by by the Myanmar itself. Right. So 2020 could be <laughs> the peak in my point of view. Um, and I think uh, ASEAN will offer our best uh, help to Myanmar um, in conducting the elections. Like, you know, Indonesia is um, a country with the, 
you know we have capacity capability in uh, organizing hosting and conducting the largest election in one day right india has the largest election with billions of people but indonesia is uh, the largest that conducted in one day right uh, 200 million election uh, 200 million uh, elect, uh, people to vote um, so we have that capability we can help them uh, offering a lot of facilities on um, you know supporting logistic everything for the elections here um, i believe that also become the one of the pointers in the uh, meeting notes between my foreign minister to um, all the stakeholders in Myanmar, which i believe also uh, we can we help them what you need right uh, do you want to have international um, supervisor, not supervisor, international observers, uh, which one you convenient, do you want it, UN observers, or I think it's better to have ASEAN observers or Indonesian observers with others, uh, um, ASEAN countries observers. So a lot of steps to come into that discussion right, about the legitimacy and, and I think election year should be passed first and I think after next year the discussion could be come to that point or it could be another uh, years to come to that point. So I'm really glad you brought up the elections because I, I'm not going to put you in the position of making an official statement about the elections because I know that would be very politically awkward. But it is generally the attitude of, again, much of the West to discount the elections because we have seen evidence of electoral fraud by the military um, very famously in the 2008 constitutional referendum, very famously in the 2010 election. And of course, most shocking was the 1990 general election where the military lost. And in response, they, after the fact, annulled the legitimacy of the election and, uh, and arrested the leaders of the NLD, which is very similar to what they did in 2021 in the coup. So the, the likelihood, uh, it is, it is widely believed is that either the military will simply not allow certain pro-democracy parties to be registered. Uh, everyone has to register their political party currently with the military-controlled electoral commission. Or they will allow them to register, they will allow them to contest the election, but then they will have uh, many of their own people, government staff, uh, police, military voting uh, not secretly and voting on military bases, which they've done in the past, um, ballot stuffing, discounting certain regions where they are likely to lose uh, on claims of COVID, on claims of political instability, on claims of security situation and so on, and effectively manipulating the outcome to give themselves a sense of legitimacy. So there are a lot of concerns and we, we can say conspiracy theory, there's no evidence that this will happen. Um, Yes, the international observers would be a very, very, very big factor, whether the military genuinely allows international observers or not. Uh, Indonesia, as a genuinely democratic country, is in a, a very special position to be able to, to facilitate something like this. Um, and we don't know how the military would respond. But is it is it generally, do you think, the view of ASEAN that the elections if they are held in 2023, and it is very likely that they will be held, is it, do you think the view of ASEAN that the elections will be considered to be legitimate and the outcome of those elections will be considered uh, representative of the will of the Myanmar people? Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. That's a very good, interesting questions. I will not talking about uh, legitimizing the elections or not, right? But I want to invite the listeners um, to think about this. We should be very rational. Um, in dealing with Myanmar, right? We need to be sober in seeing what are the options and processes that are now on the ground. Definitely the elections is one of the big process that in the ground and acknowledged by the SAC, they should acknowledge because it's based on the constitution. And we should go to that process, right? Because what else? Then I want to ask you guys, what else? What are the options if not going to that process, right? Um, what we can do is to help and make sure the process going well and minimizing um, those kind of what we are very worried about. Again, um, this is a very domestic thing on Myanmar, but I think 
ASEAN countries as an individual has a stake to say um, to the Myanmar government, right? Here's the thing. Um, I believe one country, um, any authorities that claiming the legitimacy, um, Myanmar is a big country, right? Myanmar, if not mistaken, is second or third largest by populations in Southeast Asia. Um, I think none of authority, here's the thing, every authority that claiming themselves wants public support. And there's no such authority want to see their people suffering. And I think now we are already at the point where uh, the peoples are, has been, right, suffering even worsen. Um, and I think this is the time, you know, to tell to both stakeholders, including, you know, the biggest one, NG and the SAC, particularly the SAC, hey, you need to come up with your own formulation how to find a way out from this situation, right? You should come, you need to see it and find a way out, right? Because we have been very tired uh, yelling from outside. Your, 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 your country is, um, is, um, is a trampling ground, right? So um, I think um, it should come from both sides, right? Uh, the, the authorities in Myanmar should also, I think authorities should aware that this is the time to talk and, and lay out what they want and find their own formulations how to settle these things. Uh, or you want to see the people's way, uh, the people's become more sovereign and become, and yielding to another problems could be what terrorism, what endemic uh, 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 or a lot of things could happen or civil wars, endless civil wars happen. Um, that's that thing. And ASEAN, um, individual countries, ASEAN countries, cannot stand still, you know, we need to act in a, in a say, uh, using all means that we have, using all means that along with our principles. I'm not talking about the principle of non-interventions. I'm not talking about that. Because ASEAN countries has been intervening to one another by saying, by advising, by suggesting, right? Um, and telling what's good for the regions and not. And I think I think that's the that's the uh, the observation that I can share. Fair enough. And so, on this, I, I want to sort of segue into uh, something that that I know that you and I discussed uh, the last time that we spoke. And this is more the historical underpinning because it is it is very evident, uh, regardless of how we might feel, it is objectively the case that the Western philosophy and the Western political approach and the ASEAN philosophy and ASEAN political approach are different. They, they clearly view the situation very differently. And speaking of uh, the culture of militaries, uh, there seems to be a very different view, uh, like an automatic different assumptions being made about militaries in Western nations and in, in ASEAN nations. And not just ASEAN, but the broader uh, Asian sphere. Uh, I know that Japan, for example, has had uh, experience with militarism. I know that South Korea has had experience with militarism. Um, there is a, a, a military in power currently in, in Thailand. Um, we can say to varying extents that Cambodia, uh, Laos, and Vietnam are under military systems, or we could say one-party communist systems. Indonesia used to be under a military regime. So uh, but but today's democratic. So what what is the general view within ASEAN of the military taking over power? Is there a certain sense for historical reasons that people view this as sometimes good and sometimes necessary? Or do the people have a bad memory of, of military governments and they have a, a immediate negative reaction towards them? What's the general interpretation here? Thank you. <clears throat> Uh, disclaimer: I'm speaking um, not as a 
historian or as a uh, expert on Myanmar or expert on mili military and civil relations. But I speak uh, based on my observations as um, a person who studied Southeast Asia uh, study during my school um, uh, for three years. So I'm investing myself on Southeast Asia studies for three years. And now I'm working for uh, almost seven years in as professional in international relations and dealing with ASEAN countries. Okay, so um, I see uh, a military as a organization um, that has a feeling of a possession uh, to to the country very much. So I'm talking in the context of ASEAN countries, particularly Indonesia. Uh, for instance, um, uh, Indonesian military were born before Indonesia independence. So technically, my military organization were born before the country was born. Right. And the military was part of the struggle and uh, become the main uh, actors of the struggle on my country independence alongside with our diplomats and our fighters. So that's the point. Uh, so the feeling of ownership, the feeling as the last guardian, the feeling of the main actor that unites uh, the whole country uh, and securing the, uh, uh, the motherland is the military. So that is um, uh, what I see and feel in Indonesia, uh, how the military see themselves. Um, somehow they see themselves bigger than the country somehow, right? This is my personal observations. But in Indonesia case, my military were reformed by themselves, within themselves, and they see the importance of um, uh, professional military that military focus on uh, the, uh, all the military affairs, not uh, intervening on the civil affairs. And the government should be civilian government and should be led by the civilians. So the government and civil military should be uh, as what should be. Right. So that uh, Indonesia context. But I would invite you to take a look on the Philippines. Take a look on the uh, the Philippines. The military is very strong. Uh, but take a look on Thailand, right? The military is very strong and um, has the same feelings that uh, the military is the last guardian and uh, uh, are uh, an entity that uh, makes sure the unity of the country. And I see this very much in Myanmar. I see this very much in Myanmar. Again, I'm not an expert of Myanmar, but I see this and I feel this in every my every my conversations uh, with uh, my Myanmar brothers and sisters, and look at all the elite uh, in Myanmar political league, all of them have a military background. Even Aung San Suu Kyi's father, right? Um, so the military, uh, I see it this as a uh, last guardian uh, uh, of the unity of Myanmar, and. And I think at this point they see um, the the countries in 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 endanger. That, that's why they need to jump in uh, in whatever others uh, rationals and reasons. Right? But I, I see this that way. Um, I heard I heard yeah I heard from the previous government when uh, my government approaching uh, to the military leadership. Uh, I think it was back in, I think it was before the elections of uh, when Aung San Suu Kyi won the elections, uh, I forgot the, the, the years. I heard that uh, my government talked to them frankly, um, not about democracy at the beginning, but talk about um, the the, um, uh, the strategic interest of national unity. And my government talked to them, I feel the same thing, we feel the same thing about the importance of national unity and we share the same interests. And this is also uh, resonated by the, the Myanmar leadership of military that yes, 
the unity is so important for us. That's why the ministry should be always be in the um, government. Right? Um, okay, that's how they do it. That's how they they feel it. So we need to understand this nature um, of uh, the military as an organization and how the military civil relationship in Myanmar. That's why um, uh, we cannot and never uh, ever to discount the military factor in Myanmar. The military should be the solutions uh, and a way out in, in uh, today's uh, situations. Right? Um, it's not about making a new military unit, no. About the, the, the current military regime, right? Um, uh, they should be invited as also the solution uh, uh, in the future of Myanmar because this feeling is become a part of the DNA, right? Um, uh, you know, I asked uh, my friend uh, in Myanmar, I asked, I asked one question, which this question is uh, very associated with Indonesian um, uh, community. Um, the question was, um, hey, um, is there any feelings of parents that uh, the parents want to see their kids to be military officers? Because if your kids, uh, son or daughter, become a military officers, it will, uh, you know, provide your family with not only economic guarantee, careers, but also social status. And uh, my my Myanmar's brothers said, yes, it was, uh, but I don't see it right now. But but there is, I I, I feel that uh, happening in a lot of uh, uh, Myanmar's parents that wants to see their kids and. Their, uh, their kids to become uh, military officers or become a civil service. Um, that's also happening here in Indonesia. Right? So uh, these two uh, the, the examples of the same feelings um, uh, of how the military is playing a very, uh, uh, I would say, a very um, strategic role uh, in, uh, in the operations of a state is uh, we cannot discount. And so this sort of leads us to a topic that I, I, I know that you have a lot of views on. I know that you want to sort of dispel uh, this narrative uh, because even you coming from that Indonesian perspective, a democratic country, you have this perspective of militaries as, as, as intrinsic to the state and very, um, very powerful organizations and organizations that have the potential for good. And there is among Western commentators a very strong narrative that ASEAN is fundamentally divided between the predominantly militarist and dictatorial uh, continental ASEAN countries, Myanmar, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, and the predominantly more democratic uh, insular countries uh, like Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, uh, Philippines. Brunei is obviously a, a sort of special case. Um, so, what is what is your perspective on this idea that that ASEAN is fundamentally two different things: the the more dictatorial, militaristic continental ASEAN, and the more democratic, more liberal island ASEAN? Oh yeah, thank you. You know what? ASEAN is the most diverse. Uh, regional organization in the world. Uh, tell me one organization of inter-nation uh, um, that has uh, a full-fledged democracy, like Indonesia. You have a Viet you have a communist uh, state country, like uh, Vietnam, socialist communist. You have uh, Islamic sultanate countries like Brunei. Um, you have a monarchy like. Um, uh, Thailand, a sultanate uh, uh, democracy uh, like Malaysia, and you, you name it. There's no such uh, thing other than ASEAN. So ASEAN, by the, from the beginning, already diverse. But what unites ASEAN? The feeling of wanting to be independent, and having a strategic autonomy and not having someone big asking and um, you know uh, pointing out what we should do 
that feeling unites us and help us to uh, create a lot of uh, principles, asset centrality, treaty amity of corporations, uh, uh, nuclear zone, a free zone of nuclear, uh, so on and so forth. So, um, however, I need also to acknowledge that ASEAN, right now, today's ASEAN, is ASEAN individual countries are very hard to come into a um, uh, uh, solid uh, positions on political issues. Right? Um, uh, we we are not that easy right now, um, and yes, there is a uh, strong differences uh, on how uh, those stands see the politicals. Uh, events uh, or episodes uh, in uh, in the world or in East Asia or you can say in Indo-Pacific. Um, yes, uh, we need to acknowledge that. Uh, but in regards of that, uh, in terms of Myanmar, I think uh, all ten, all nine, wants Myanmar to establish uh, why. Because Myanmar is part of the ASEAN, part of the family, and if Myanmar get worsens, uh, it will affecting the rest of the nine, uh, or it could be the rest of the ten with Timor Leste in the uh, with Timor Leste in the future time. Uh, uh, that's that. What I can say. Um, the division is there, uh, but the ASEAN principles and processes are working every year. Um, I can be different today, but tomorrow I'll see you to talk. Um, that's a good thing, you know, the differences is there. Uh, and then the, the talking is continuous. So ASEAN cannot be simplified by those democratic and non-democratic countries. No, cannot be simplified at that point. Um, cannot be simplified because of that, uh, the decisions would be different on ASEAN, full-fledged democracy Indonesia and also um, ASEAN and then the Cambodia or Laos, you know, looking at Myanmar. No, definitely different. Like, um, my Cambodian friend says that, um, you know, uh, Cambodian championship in 2022 this year, they feel they have a better understanding on Myanmar compared to the Indonesian because they are closer by nature, uh, closer by culture. They understand um, the, 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 the not only the culture, but also the way of life of the Myanmar people. And they said maybe Myanmar has a better chance to the Indonesians. Um, uh, that's what the, my Cambodian friend said. And, but the feeling the same that the Cambodian said, hey, um, if Myanmar getting worsens, it's also bad for, for us as Cambodian, but also for the region, also for you, Indonesia. Um, so that's why let's work together in a different way and approach how to settle this. So I think um, in terms of end goal uh, of the Myanmar should be settled um, and find a way out is I think the interest of all tenants, the interest of all nine, uh, but the difference is lies on the way and approaches. And, uh, and, and I think uh, every day we're working on it, how to find the commonalities. So that's a good thing about ASEAN. We always talk about commonalities despite of our differences and acknowledge we have a differences. Fair enough, fair enough. And so <clears throat> moving to, to the end of our discussion, let's, let's open it up uh, a little bit and let's talk about the relationship that China has to this whole situation. I mean, ASEAN, ASEAN seems to have a very strong connection to China. China has a very strong connection to ASEAN uh, taken collectively they are they are the two biggest fish uh, in in the Asian sphere, so it makes sense that they would have strong ties. And China has also been heavily involved in Myanmar. It has been involved in the crisis in Myanmar. Uh, so how do you how do you see this? Do you see ASEAN and China as collaborating uh, potentially down the road and and forming a unified front? To, to try and bring a resolution to the, the Myanmar and try, and try to facilitate the peace process? Or do you see China and ASEAN as, as basically doing their own independent policies uh, when it comes to this crisis? Mm. So, um, first point, I 
appreciate China always consult with us, uh, I mean ASEAN, in terms of Myanmar, because they they, they do also respect um, how to solve Myanmar is through the five point consensus and through the ASEAN processes. So that uh, formally and uh, in terms of policies that I can very appreciate to China. Yes, we are very close with China. Um, I think we're, the closeness between ASEAN and China is, uh, I think, coming by, by nature because we have been bordered with them for 2,000 years, more than 1,000 years, and our trade is so close and our geo, uh, our geographic location is so, our proximity is so close. So I think it's become by nature, so we're very close. But in terms of seeing China and uh, Myanmar, or you would mean the SAC are collaborating, you know, this is something that I cannot be commented with because what I know that China also maintain communication with everybody's there, just like what uh, ASEAN does. Uh, so I cannot uh, see it that they are leaning much more on SAC or not leaning to the NUG. I'm not, um, I cannot say about that. Um, but I want to speak on behalf of my survey. So on ASEAN China survey, we ask questions. Has China roles with regard to Myanmar political crisis been contributing positively to ASEAN efforts in addressing the conflicts? That's my questions. And the answers is that 46% says not clear, right? Not clear. And 19% uh, 19% says no, 20% says no opinion, and 20 only 13% said yes. So ASEAN is keep uh, ASEAN is a bit in the dark in how seeing um, China's role on Myanmar. I think that's a fair conclusion. But let's take a look how the Myanmar people says see that questions, right? So, uh, 47% says not clear as well. Uh, 50% and both 15% are sharing the same number, says yes and no on how they see China uh, place uh, on the ground. So, I think fair to say, uh, ASEAN people, uh, most of them, uh, not most of them, I mean, ASEAN people uh, assumes um, not clear assumptions on how to see China's roles in uh, Myanmar uh, situations. But I do also ask another questions. Um, um, but we need also to acknowledge that Myanmar location is uh, sits in a very in a strategic important to China. Why? Because Myanmar sits directly to Indian Oceans, and I know that China has an interest to have a direct access to Indian Ocean, not by circling around the Malacca Strait. Yeah. I know Myanmar. Uh, has that strategic interest of China, and and I know China also has a lot of economic stake in Myanmar. Um, that's why um, I think China tried to maintain all contacts, and in terms of legitimizing, in terms of leanings, I don't know, in terms of legitimizing the policies, I think China will never far away from ASEAN narrative. Interesting, and. I don't know if you can really speak on this. I know your focus is is more towards uh, the relationship with with China, but you've mentioned the strategic impact of Myanmar and and getting around the the, the Strait of Malacca is is a huge motivating factor for China. The potential for an embargo uh, across ASEAN uh, is something that I know China has been very uh, aggravated by in the past. And Chinese conflict with some ASEAN member states, uh, particularly Philippines, Vietnam, through through the controversy in the South China Sea, uh, has driven their need for a more westerly passage. But this this in turn will certainly uh, raise eyebrows among the Indians, who would be very concerned with uh, Chinese naval capability so close. To their eastern uh, to their eastern border, particularly when on their west they have Pakistan, a hostile country who is also allied to China. Is there is there any sort of interaction going on between India and ASEAN, uh, to your knowledge, to to also try to resolve the Myanmar crisis? Mm, what I know, um, India is a country that should be consulted uh, by ASEAN in terms of Myanmar as well, right? I mean, um, India. Um, in terms of geographic proximity to Myanmar, and also India's focus to east to look to the east, right? That, that, that's their policies of look to the east. Um, I think India is a significant country to to be consulted by ASEAN. 
um, I think the communication is going on, uh, and also I think uh, New Delhi and also Jakarta. I think back and forth also talking about ASEAN, um, uh, talking about Myanmar, Myanmar situations. And I think they are also actively advising us on how to deal with uh, Myanmar. So then, what uh, what I would like to do at this point is just to invite you mm. to leave our listeners with any thoughts uh, about what we've discussed today or or other topics. Uh, which you would like them to consider and to mull over uh, as they they go about their day. Okay. So, listeners, this is Calvin from Jakarta, Indonesia. What I would like to say, particularly if you are um, coming from the side of the world um, that um, trying to understand Southeast Asia and Myanmar, we feel the same thing as you, which is our frustrations on what's happening on the ground. We want to save life. We want to make um, uh, the, the Myanmar becoming a, a well-functioned government as we, as it was, and even more thriving. Uh, we want, uh, as Indonesians, I want to see democracy flourish in Myanmar. Um, but uh, please, never and do not discount ASEAN effort. Um, ASEAN is not standstill. ASEAN is not. Um, uh, just sit down and watch. We we do uh, in a way how we do it, and please give us trust. Mm, I'm not pleading. I'm uh, I'm not pleasing. I'm not pleading. But I just want to say we also doing something. Not something. We do something to push the needles. Right. Uh, so please discount. Please do not discount ASEAN efforts. Um, but please continue criticizing criticizing us. Please continue. Um, uh, give uh, uh, common suggestions, right? And and uh, just believe uh, on the process um, and believe on the course. We are maintaining the good course uh, and maintaining uh, in the right ends, which is uh, to find a, a, a final leeway on the situation in Myanmar. And I want to say also thank you to um, all the. Uh, of uh, sympathy and also uh, support uh, to uh, Myanmar brother and sister. I think um, they need our uh, uh, constants and continuous support um, uh, to them. I think activities like uh, Inside Myanmar podcast um, and also uh, Better Buma, I think you did a very excellent job. So that's it, Brad. Thank you. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode in full. And if you've gotten this far, then you've heard much of what this important guest has to say. And if you found their story of value, please consider taking a further step beyond just being a listener and becoming an active supporter. Any donation you provide is now going to support the democracy movement in Myanmar to help those being impacted by the current crisis. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are being impacted by the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Your donation will go on to support a wide range of humanitarian and media missions, aiding those local communities who need it most. Donations are directed to such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, Families of Deceased Victims, Internally Displaced Person IDP Camps, Food for Impoverished Communities, Military Defection Campaigns, Undercover Journalists, Refugee Camps, Monasteries and Nunneries, Education Initiatives, the purchasing of protective equipment and medical supplies, COVID relief, and more. We also make sure that our donation fund supports a diverse range of religious and ethnic groups across the country. We invite you to visit our website to learn more about past projects as well as upcoming needs. You can give a general donation or earmark your contribution to a specific activity or project you would like to support, perhaps even something you heard about in this very episode. All of this humanitarian work is carried out by our nonprofit mission, Better Burma. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is directed towards this fund. Alternatively, you can also visit the Better Burma website, betterburma.org, and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause and both websites accept credit card. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. 
Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to these respective accounts or email us at info at betterburma.org. That's Better Burma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A dot org. If you would like to give in another way, please contact us. We also invite you to check out our range of handicrafts that are sourced from vulnerable artisan communities across Myanmar, available at alokacrafts.com. Any purchase will not only support these artisan communities, but also our nonprofit's wider mission. That's Aloka Crafts, spelled A-L-O-K-A-C-R-A-F-T-S, one word, alokacrafts.com. Thank you so much for your kind consideration and support. Thank you.